0: So guys, I had planned to play a video for you, but I think the video's too long. I, but Pastor Melissa goes, I think I remember it being two minutes. And we're like, Cody comes up and goes, it's 11 minutes. I'm like, oh wow. Okay. 11 minutes is a lot different from two minutes. So, um, I wanted to share with you that this past week, I've got the, I got the beautiful privilege of honoring Dr. Rob Carmen, who passed away. And, uh, they did a, A memorial tribute just a celebration of life and i tell you what guys he was a giant in the faith he was remarkable and the video goes on to show just all of the things he did just the mighty exploits for the lord and uh, what i love about it is that throughout the um the memorial, you know, people would come up and say, well, this was one of the stories that pastor Rob told Or I heard this story. We heard this story. And how many of you know, he was an awesome storyteller. I mean, he could tell a story like nobody's business. He he told many from this platform. We were blessed to have him. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that. And I thought, you know, uh, and, and it's interesting because one of his sons said, you know what, what people don't understand is that he would go anywhere. He'd go to small churches, he'd go to medium-sized churches, but then he also spoke to thousands, if not tens of thousands overseas and all over the place. And uh, it's interesting because some of the guys said, well, you know what? We never uh, we never knew if all of the stories were completely true. You know, because pastors can sometimes, you know, they, they exaggerate for illustrative purposes, right? And uh, and I love it because Ms. Gendrick basically in a video says, um, Says, and in case you're wondering if they were true, they were. And she begins to document him with pictures and document him with all of the articles from the newspapers and this and that. And so there's a picture of him standing in Madagascar on top of the tomb. Remember, he said he preached on top of that tomb and he broke up that funeral. And He begins to preach the word of God, jumping up and down on that tomb. And, uh, and there's a picture of him. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, Dr. Rob, everything you said was absolutely true. That's awesome. And <laughs> now... No, more than that, I felt completely, completely privileged to have him as a mentor, to, to have him come to this congregation and bless us as often as he did. But One of the things that I remember the most is, um, how anytime you hesitated around him, because this is the thing, everyone in the room that day said that Dr. Rob made them feel like, like they were larger than life. And that was absolutely true. I thought I was special. I figured out he was the one that was special. Making me feel special because he made everyone feel like a million bucks. Like you could just... You know, leap tall buildings in a single bound. You know, you could do amazing things. And this is what one of his sons said. He said he loved to hang around preachers and he made them feel awesome. And if you didn't feel awesome, you were going to feel awesome. And if you didn't have something great to do, you were going to have something great to do. Because you just had to hang out around him a minute. And he was going to pull good stuff out of you. And I started thinking, you know, that's the way we should be. Every Christian should have that quality to bring out the very best in others, the very best in our children, the very best in our wives, husbands, the very best in our husbands, wives, the very best in our community. We should pull that out. And, you know, as I sat there uh, that night, we had a prayer service. It was on Wednesday, Wednesday night. We had a prayer service and I just began to weep in remorse. I was, I was remorseful and regretful. I don't regret very often because I try to do everything for the honor and glory of God, but I did regret not taking more advantage of being around him. And when I saw all of the influence he had around the world and how people hung on everywhere, word and how he could have gone anywhere. And he would tell me things like this. He would say, Chris, You're cocooning, Pastor Chris. You're cocooning. And I'd go, Pastor, I don't know what cocooning is, but I'm not doing it. He says, you're cocooning. You've got to get out there. You've got to connect. You've got to get introduced to some other folks. You've got to mix it up with the body of Christ. Come on. Come with me to Madagascar. Come with me to Botswana. Come with me to Peru. Come with me. He was everywhere. And I just held back and held back because I always thought I had time. I said, man, this man goes every year. He goes to Papua New Guinea. He goes to Botswana. He goes to Kenya. He goes to Nigeria. He goes everywhere. I can go with him on any one of those trips. Come on, how many of us feel that way sometimes in life? I'll do it next year. I'll do it tomorrow. There's always time. But And and so I just began to weep because I felt so remorseful and, and I felt so regretful. I said, Lord... Here was the perfect man for me, the perfect mentor. He was a guy's guy, you know what I mean? He would hit people on the front row, and he would just like, he loved just going for it, you know? And and he he loved Ginger with all of his heart. Like, I love Melissa, and he knew what family was about. I mean, he was just a great mentor. And here I was holding back. And you know what's so interesting? He's traveling all over the world. He has all of these connections and all of these mentorships. And he called me. And he was great, Chris, you got a real problem with connection, man. Don't make me call you next month. You called me and then I'd forget and then I'd see the phone. Dr. Rob calling. Do you realize that he called me before he passed away? I was in the airport coming back we celebrated Raquel's wedding and I saw his number and I said, I'll call you tomorrow, doc. And so I just began to weep and cry and ex- ask the Lord, Lord, man, I really blew it. I blew it. I blew it. A perfect opportunity to go and to see, because I started asking to my, I started asking God like, Lord, how did he do that? Like, I wouldn't even know what to do if I went overseas. Like, what did he do? He just found him something to do, and he helped missionaries, and he encouraged them, and then he preached to thousands, and he just... And I said, man, it's a perfect opportunity to connect with someone who knows the ropes and could have shown me and introduced me. And and the more I wept, the more I could hear his voice. And he says, Chris... Just do it. <laughs> it's like a Nike commercial, you know what I mean? You just got to do it. And I remember a story he told. Remember when he was he was uh he was in depression and he was about to wash out of the ministry and he said, "You know what? I've got to get out there and experience God's power." And you know, for some of us that's what we have to do. We've got to start experiencing God's power and living at a higher level. Because that's what real living is all about. And today I want to share with you a message of a great man of God who didn't start off so great. And that man was Gideon. How many of you know the story of Gideon? Anyone? So the story of Gideon is found in the Old Testament in the book called the Judges. And you say, well, what, what is that? The Judges. So you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Joseph sold into slavery, that's Jacob's uh, second youngest son, by his brothers, right? Over a course of events, over the course of some events, there's a worldwide famine, or at least in that part of the world, and Joseph's brothers end up living in Egypt. Now, the Bible says that sometime later, hundreds of years later, you know, um, There's a Pharaoh that comes to power that doesn't remember Joseph, doesn't care about what he did for for Egypt, and he enslaves the people. That's where Moses comes in, right? Now Moses comes in as a deliverer, and God uses Moses to deliver his people. Meanwhile, the promise on God's people still remains. What is that promise? He made it to Abraham. He said, I will use you and bless you, and I will use you to bless all the nations of the earth. And we know that through Abraham, we now have what? Relationship with God through faith. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus, which was what? From the line of Abraham. And we t- we, we tend to think that, uh, well, ne- never mind. I- I'll just keep going. And And so then after Moses, you have a man named Joshua, right? So Moses brings the people up to the promised land after 40 years in the desert. They come up to the promised land, but Joshua actually takes them into the promised land. So if you're going in your Bible, you go through the Pentateuch, or you go through Genesis, Exodus, what Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and that's where Moses ends, right? Joshua begins with Moses's death and Joshua taking leadership after the book of Joshua ends by by. Joshua giving Israel peace in a a beautiful land. They're living in cities they did not build. They're they're eating vineyards and and, and from crops they did not plant. They have all of this beautiful prosperity. And Joshua charges them much like Moses charged them. And he said what? He said, said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But you need to decide for yourselves. Who are you going to serve? Every man, every woman gets that decision. Why? Because there's what's called the priesthood of the believer, meaning each one of us is a priest and each one of us gets to approach God in our own right, in in our own decision. And so we get the choice. And so Joshua says, you decide. And then after Joshua dies, there begins a time called the time of the judges. Now, the time of the judges goes from Joshua, the the death of Joshua, to what? To the death of Samuel. Now, that is about 300 years. Now, some, some scholars uh, uh, debate that, and some say, no, it's closer to 200 years. But, but for the most part, we, we know it, it's two to 300 years. It's a good period of time. It's from Joshua's death to what? Samuel's death. Samuel dies anointing a king. Now, this is what God had always planned. God had always planned that he would be their king. And that they should follow him. And doesn't that isn't that what the Old Testament is all about? Don't do these things. Live this way. Don't live like the other nations do. Be sexually pure. Be morally pure. Be all of these, you know, socially pure. The way you treat one another is important. Treat each other with kindness and respect and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's basically what you find all throughout God's word. And so you have purity laws and you have social laws and you have all of these laws. And God is saying, I want you to be my nation because you're going to take this goodness to the rest of the world. You're going to influence the rest of the world. But what happens in the period of the judges, stay with me on this, Israel would have it super good and the bills would be paid and there'd be money in the bank and they'd be vacationing in the summer and having just an awesome time. You know what I mean? And then what would happen? Same thing that happens to us. What happens when everything is too good? Am I the only one? But when everything is too good, sometimes we forget. You know, it's interesting because some people think that, that, that Satan wants to make it so bad on you that you actually turn bad. Do you realize the worse he makes it for you, sometimes the better you get? If Satan really wants to corrupt you, he'll make you busy and prosperous. <laughs> he'll pour on blessings on you. And it's interesting because this is exactly what happens. And so this is, the, this is the cycle of the book of Judges. Stay with me on this. Watch. Israel would be prosperous and blessed. They would forget God. And when they forgot God, they would what? Go into idolatry. They would start worshiping themselves, other gods. They would ignore his, his commandments. It would get so bad down here that God would rise up or raise up a people group to what? To, to exploit them. To judge them. And then they would be judged to the point that they would begin to cry out to God. And when they cried out to God, He would listen in true repentance. If they were in true repentance, He would listen and He would bring a Savior, a judge. Do you realize that the word judge in Hebrew literally means deliver Savior? And see he would bring a savior, and then what would happen when they were at the top again? They would be completely full and they would be completely uh, prosperous, and it would start all over they would forget God, and then once they forgot God, they would turn into idolatry, and they would be judged and and then they would repent, and then God would send a savior, a, a redeemer a, a someone that set them free and so you have these great judges like Deborah and Samson, and Gideon was one of those judges. And so we pick up the story in chapter six, we pick up the story in chapter six, and the title of today's message is, what God can do with a few. Come on, can I get an amen? We're going to see what God can do with a few. That means he doesn't need a whole bunch and this is what Gideon has hard time understanding at first, because when you're living in oppression and you're living in, in struggle, sometimes you have a hard time seeing how awesome and mighty God is, because the enemy is trying to break you down when he takes you through struggle. He's trying to break you down, but God is going to use that to bless you. You watch this. So, the very first thing I want you to understand from this, we got six points, and the very first point is, do I have your attention? How many of us know that when they were in prosperity, they would pull their attention from God and they would begin the downward spiral focusing on themselves and focusing on this world and what this world had to offer. And so they would be enticed by the gods, the false gods of this world. And you say, but pastor, we don't false worship anymore. We don't worship idols. We don't worship Moloch and Asherah and we don't worship Baal. But let me ask you this. What kind of false gods does the world hold up today? Do they hold up materialism? Do they hold up the false God of entertainment? Do they hold up the false God of me, myself, and I and trying to be popular and and, and trying to get as many likes on Facebook versus when somebody you go, no, I'm not about Facebook anymore. So you just substituted Instagram for Facebook or TikTok for Facebook, or Instagram. We keep going in the same direction, but what does the world have its attention on, and do you have your attention on the same thing? Because God is saying, I want your full attention. Now, I used to think God just had an issue, and he needed like attention. And then the more I study God's word, the more I realize I'm the one with the issue, and God loves me, And he knows that my the the very best of my life is had when I give him my attention. And when I start getting distracted, that's when I'm headed for trouble. And it's like a father who knows their son has to pay attention and stay with them or they could get lost. In a very harmful world. A very harmful world. So, so watch this. He says, do I have your attention? And starts off this way in chapter six, verse one. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of Midian or into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because the Midianite, the, because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made themselves made for themselves dens and caves and strongholds which were in the mountains. So I want to explain what was happening. The Midianites were a nomadic group, but they were very large in number and they were very ruthless. They were, they were strong warriors. And so what happens is God allows Israel to be overrun by the Midianites. And they would come in every so often typically around harvest time, there's two harvests and so they come in right when Israel was about to be bountiful and they would steal and plunder and take everything. So I want you to think about this. If you are a family, what does this mean for your wife and for your daughters? If you are a man, what does this mean for you? If you need And you're an agricultural dependent society and what you grow is what you eat. And they come and steal it. What does that mean? And so this is happening because they have what? Forsaken their God. And they have to go into the mountains and live literally in the strongholds of the mountains. A very, very, very meager lifestyle. And this is where you find The story begins, and it's been seven years. Go to verse four with me. Then they would encamp against him and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no what? Sustenance for Israel. Neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. They would come upon the land as numerous as locusts. This is how many there were. They would overrun them and there was no chance. So can you imagine how demoralized they must feel? You know, guys, sometimes when God wants to get our attention, he'll let us feel some pain. He'll let us feel some pain. As a matter of fact, I like the way C.S. Lewis puts it. God whispers to us in our pleasures. Isn't that true? He whispers to you, I love you, when everything is so good, but everything is so good, we tend not to hear him. Now watch this. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. So in our pleasures, he's whispering. In our normal circumstances, he's just speaking through our conscience. But if we ignore that, then what happens? Then he's got to bring out the bullhorn. And the bullhorn is usually what? According to C.S. Lewis, pain. How many of you w- would have your full attention on God when you're dealing with pain? You know what? As a pastor, I see this often. I see people, Pastor, would you pray for me? Everything is falling apart. It's horrible. Would you pray for me? And then when things get better, you don't see them. And then it gets bad again. They're back in the house of God. Oh, Pastor, would you pray for me, please? I promise, it'll never happen again. You pray for them, things get better. Then what? They're gone. And it's interesting that we make fun of Israel, but we're the same way. We're the same way. And so so God is saying, hey, I need your attention. And you say, but why did it take seven years? Maybe it took seven years because they hadn't fully exhausted all of their own options. Come on, how many times do we say, wait, before I just run to God, let me see if I can go to the doctor first. Let me see if I can get a loan first. Let me see if I have another credit card. Let me see. Am I right? Let me go to this friend and that friend and another friend to see if they can give me advice on my marriage before I go to God. And sometimes you bring the marriage to God once it's already broke. And it's like, guys, go to God first. And you know what God gives you the minute you go to him? He gives you a godly vision. So they start to cry out to God for repentance. They start to cry out to God, Lord, this is horrible. These people are mistreating us. Our children shouldn't grow up this way. They begin to cry out to God and God gives them a godly vision. So what I want you to do in in life, what I need to remind myself to do in life is to catch God's vision for my life. Catch God's vision for your life. Listen to what he says in the book of Judges, verse seven. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, Because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you from Egypt and brought you out of a house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all of those who oppressed you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. So what is God reminding them of? He's reminding them of their heritage and their legacy. He saying, let me show you what I've done for you. I need you to be reminded that you are the head and not the tail. Isn't that what he told them in the book of Deuteronomy? In the book of Deuteronomy, he said, if you're faithful to me, you will always be the head and not the tail. You will be the leader and not the follower. You will be a lender and not a borrower. I'm going to give you victory and let me show you how I was faithful. Now, are you ready to believe me again? Come on, let someone say in this room, I'm ready to believe you again, Lord. I know you have better for me. I know you have good for me and you speak well over me because I am your son. Now, if I've gotten distracted, Lord, you've got my attention. Amen, you've got my attention. And so this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now that he's got your attention, he wants to give you a godly vision. He begins to share with them What he did. And now in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the tree. Now watch this. Which belonged to Joash. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press. In order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him. The Lord is with you you mighty man of valor. Now, I want you to, uh, to uh, just kind of explore and get into this verse and see if you see the irony I see. Now, this man is in the caves. He's in a low spot where you press wine in a rock formation that makes a hole so he could hide. What is he doing there? Is he pressing wine? He's in a wine press, but he's not pressing wine. He's what? Threshing wheat. Now, I did some research on this because I'm a city boy, but some of you country boys may know that when you thresh wheat, you've got to do it in open air so that the breeze blows away the shaft, the unwanted stuff, and you're left with the good stuff. Now, why is he doing it in the opposite way? Why is he doing it in a closed formation, a rock formation? He's hi- because he's hiding, he's scared to death. And the angel of the Lord comes, sits there and says, you mighty man of valor. God is not being sarcastic or mean. The Bible says that call, God calls the things that aren't as though they were. Listen to me carefully. Jesus called Peter a rock before he became a rock. Do you realize that God speaks something over you because that's where you were headed? That's what he sees in you and that's what he wants you to see for yourself. You've got to catch God's vision. You've got to catch God's vision. Listen to what he says. He says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now I want you to see where the key is. The key is not in him being a mighty man of valor. The key is with God being with him. Because if God be for you, who can be against you? You see, the angel of the Lord gave Gideon the key right there. When you turn to me, this is God's promise. When you turn to me, I will turn to you. When you call on me, I will come quickly. And God might sit high and lift it up but when his people pray, he stoops low. Do you know that that's what the psalmist said? God, you stoop down low and you get personal with me. Who am I that you should do such a thing? Who am I? And God is saying, you are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. And that's the key right there. So I want you to understand this. Not only does God want our attention, but he wants to give us a godly vision for what your life should be and will be if you trust him. And then number three, his purpose invites his presence. So this is the thing. When you're fulfilling your purposes, when it's about you, then why would God attend that? Why would God attend your doing? Remember this, remember this, remember this, remember this. I always say God is preeminent. He cannot be second. He cannot be second by definition. He is above all. So why would he come and attend your purpose? Making him your servant. No, you're his servant, meaning you attend his purpose. He doesn't want to attend your purpose going away from the cross, going away from glory, going away from heaven. When you walk towards him, when you walk towards his purpose, he always attends. Why? Why? Because it's what it's it's where he's headed. Instead of asking, I'll never forget, Henry Blackaby wrote a study called Experiencing God. And he said, the most powerful thing I can tell you in this study is that most people ask God to join them. The best thing you can do is join him. Join him in what he's already doing. And so watch, God starts to share with Gideon his purpose. And he says this, he says, Gideon tells him this after he's told that what, you mighty man of valor. Then Gideon says, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all your miracles, which our forefathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And so this is beautiful because what, what the Lord is saying here is this. He says, I'm going with you. Not only am I sending you, but I am calling you to be mighty. Therefore, you're going to be mighty. Why? Because my spirit is going to join you. My spirit is going to join you. So the Lord said to him in verse 15. Um, how? Oh, okay. No, so then Gideon says to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. So this is what he's telling God. He's saying, Lord, I don't know if you've noticed, but I have no influence and I have no authority. We are the weakest tribe in a huge nation. Not only that, but my clan is the weakest of that tribe. And I'm the, and then my family is the weakest of the clan in the weakest tribe. And I'm the weakest of my family in the weakest clan of the weakest tribe of a nation that's getting their butt kicked. Does that feel like anyone in the room? (laughs) Don't you feel that way sometimes? Listen, he still hasn't caught the God vision. Because anything times infinity is what? Infinity. God is saying, you're not... You're not the secret weapon here, buddy. I am. I am. And so this is what the Lord says to them. Surely I will be what? With you. Some of us need to catch that God vision saying, Lord, if you be with me, who can be against me? I need you to go with me. I need you to go for me. I need you. But you might be here today and you might be saying, Pastor, I'm having a hard time catching that God vision. And I guess maybe it's because I don't really know the purpose for my life. What is the purpose for my life? Do you realize that if you're not on God's purpose, then you're not going to sense his presence. And maybe that's why the Lord says, if any man care to be my disciple, he must die to himself. If any woman care to be my disciple, she must die to herself. I purpose myself to preach this in a two-part series. Two parts. We'll hear the victory next week. But right now, it's just soul-searching time. What do I mean by soul-searching time? You know, we keep talking about the best is yet to come. And it really is. It, the best of your life is right there in front of you but we've said that there is a spiritual fight happening because the devil wants to do anything he can to keep you from your best. And he will distract you and distract you and distract you till you get so lost, you give up. And here, Gideon had about given up. But right before they gave up, they started to cry out to God. And as the people of God started to cry out to God, listen to what God promises. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, honor me, then I will what? Hear from heaven. Hear from heaven. That means his ears are always attentive to you. Why? Because he loves you. I will hear from heaven And I will come and heal their land. Not only will he heal your land, he'll heal you first. He'll heal your heart. And right here you have the angel of the most high God. We'll talk about whether this is Jesus or not. But Jesus comes personally or sends a personal message to Gideon, right? To tell him, I love you. The best is yet to come. You've lost your way some, but now it's time to be reminded who you are. And who you are is my son. Who you are is my daughter. Who you are is a child of the most high God. You are not what the world says. You are not what the world wants you to be. You are a child of God. And if you be a child of God, then I will love you with an everlasting love. Listen to what he says about you. You are the apple of his eye, the Bible says. The Bible says that he moved from heaven to earth to redeem you, why? Because you are priceless. In the book of Ephesians, he calls you a masterpiece. In the book of Romans, he says nothing but nothing can separate you from his love. Why? Because his love has no end. This is amazing. This is amazing what this God will do. But he will sit patiently and wait until you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired and you turn to him, then he will say, let me introduce you and remind you of my purpose for you. My purpose is that you be a peculiar people, that you would be a holy nation, that you would live not like the world, but that you would live for me and my purposes. Oh, pastor, but does that mean I have to be perfect? No, it's not in your strength. God says, I will be with you. I'll be with you. But you've got to stop giving up. You've got to stop giving up. Holiness is important to God. The things he values is important to God. Isn't that what he said here, O Israel? The Lord your God is one. Love him with all of your heart, and strength. Love him with everything you got. And you say, okay, how do I love him? That means you do what he says is important you got to do what he says is important. You say, but pastor, I don't know if I can. Oh, you mighty man of valor. Get out of the wine press. Get out from hiding. Stop giving up. Understand, what did God say? I'll go with you. I'm sending you. It's not going to be in your strength. See, look, this is enough. Enough. Amen. Christians are always saying, oh, it's by his grace. But then when it comes to really going for it we say oh it's by his grace because i can't do it you can't do it but you have a mighty helper you've got a mighty helper amen the holy spirit of the living god so this is where we finish as you grab your communion supply There may be someone here today. There may be someone here today that needs to be reminded that this is not the end, this is just the beginning. Not only is it not the end, God has so much more for us, church. And He has so much more for your your family, for your life. I just want to say one more thing. There might be someone here saying, Pastor, I'm not really scared, I'm not really anything. I'm just kind of chill. What if you're so comfortable that you never get to experience that God moment? That God moment. ever get to experience that God moment? I feel that in this room we have Gideons being called by the Holy Spirit. Gideons that are being approached by God saying you mighty person of valor, you mighty woman of valor, you mighty man of valor. And you might be tempted to argue with God. Guess what? Put it out there. We're going to see next week how Gideon has a hard time believing God, but God just patiently says, what do you have for me? I'm going to show you who I am. And in the meanwhile, Gideon just kept walking towards God saying, Lord, if you say so, then I'm going to try it. If you say so, I'm going to go for it. That's all I can ask for you today. Be willing to be made willing. Be willing to be made willing. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, Lord, could you use me in a great way? Could you use me in a great way? Ask him that and see what he says to your heart. And then this week begin to pray to him and say, Lord, I want to organize my life to honor you. I want to put you first. You have my full attention, God. I know for me, Lord, I don't want you to find me in a wine press. I don't want you to press me so hard that I'm scared for my life. Lord, I give you my life openly and willingly during the good times, amen? I don't need the bad times for you to get my attention. And I know that your presence, your presence is always gonna be where your purpose is. So God, in this moment, what's your purpose for my life? And I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you what he did on the cross who set me free, broke every chain. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, your blood washes as white as snow. Church, have a great week. I love you guys.